Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast and joining me today, two plebs from Twitter. Last week, I put out a tweet asking for anybody within the police force who is a Bitcoiner to get in touch with me. And a couple of guys got in touch with me, completely different states in the US, did not know each other. We set this up and it was a great conversation. I just wanted to get to... to um, to see inside a world I had no idea about and see how Bitcoin is affecting them and, and their thoughts for, for their daily lives and their future. So before we get into the show, I want to give a quick shill to the companies that have supported this project. We'll start in the UK, coinfloor.co.uk. That is an exchange Bitcoin only, and you can auto buy weekly with them as well. Fiat cost average. In Europe, you can use Relay, R-E-L-A-I.ch. In the US, you can use swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten for all of these websites. We'll take you to a landing page and give you the information and some freebies or goodies, whatever they are offering at that time. Then create your own affiliate links. That's very important. Once you've DCA'd fiat cost average, dollar cost average, euro cost average, pound cost average, whatever it is, whatever shit you're getting rid of to buy Satoshis, take care of them. Get them onto a Bitcoin only hardware wallet. Use shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. That's a bitbox 2 Bitcoin only edition hardware wallet. Take care of your keys. Become self-sovereign. Take the coins into your possession. Let's go, guys. This is serious shit. <laughs> right. Let's get to the police officers. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. You're welcome. Okay, we are live. Guys, welcome to the show. It's so great to uh, to meet you. Thank you for taking the time. And, uh, you know, we're all around the world, different time zones. So it took a little while to, to set up, but we made it happen. Great to have you on the show. Happy to be here, Daniel. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs> all right, my job is done. Over to you, Lauren. Okay, <laughs> so I got a question for both of you, but you could go one at a time. Um, uh, so my question is, why did you decide to become police officers? Yeah. Lincoln, you want to take that first? Sure, I'll take it. Uh, well, thanks for the uh, question, Lauren. We, I honestly have wanted to do this since I was probably six years old. Um, our house got broken into. It ended up being somebody we knew. The police officers came out and um, it, it was comforting. And uh, I think genuinely, most police officers are much like myself, that we really do want to help people, especially at the beginning of your career, you come in, and uh, you're not jaded, you're, you're, you know, starry eyed and very excited about it. Uh, so I know that that's how I came into it. It was just something I've wanted to do since I was six, um, got the opportunity. And uh, a little bit later in life, obviously, but uh, just to really enjoyed it. It's really it, is, it can be very rewarding. Uh, uh, career to actually take take a part of so 
Yeah. And, and mine, I graduated from college and didn't know, you know, didn't have a direction I really wanted to go. But um, a friend of mine was a police police officer and I did a ride along with him. And I thought, man, this seems very cool. This seems very rewarding. It's something outside. It's something where I can meet people. It's something where I can help people. And along with what Lincoln was saying, the, the aspect of helping people and the desire to do something where you feel like you're making a difference. Mm-hmm. That was it. Yeah. Okay. That's cool, huh? Yeah. Do you like helping people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do too. You like one, helping people now. I love helping people now, yeah. And right. this is why I do this podcast. I want to help as many people as I can uh, mm-hmm. learn about Bitcoin. And when I was a kid, when, uh, you know, very young, I, uh, it crossed my mind that one day I might want to be a police officer as well. <laughs> I think a lot of kids have Yeah, that. I think a lot of kids do that. because Then I, I was, like... I wanted to be a fireman, a stand-up comedian, and uh, of course, a fighter jet pilot after watching Top Gun. Yeah, yeah you know, of I, course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and if you, want a, if you want an easier job, if you want, we, we love them and we work with them, but... Uh, if you want the easier gig that pays better, go go be a firefighter. Definitely, uh, you know they uh, they spend spend a lot of time in their station. They cook a lot. They eat. They sleep. They have pretty normal schedules for the most part, except when they're woken up. So, uh, if you want the the a different side of the same coin, that's that's definitely the way to go. Oh, Lincoln, no, I call them. I call them the real heroes. That's it. They are the real heroes. There they go. <laughs> Just it's code three everywhere. So. <laughs> They're going to come after you at the, the fireman placement uh, next football game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hockey, hockey out here. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, we do we do a uh, fire and police uh, hockey game, and they do they come hard. They don't they don't mess around. So they got plenty of time to work out. So it's actually not really even fair. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any more questions? Um, yes, I got one. Okay. Why do you like helping people? Brandon, you want to go? Okay, so I have some religious beliefs here. I am a Christian, and so uh, a lot of a lot of my worldview is informed by the Bible and and Jesus's teachings, um, and and also I, I love people. Okay, so I I really do. In an age where there's so much, what's the term? Misandry misandry where, where people just hate each other people have no regard for each other's well-being i genuinely love people right so that's also what if you follow me on twitter you'll notice i can be pretty um strong right i can, I can be pretty brash but the reason for that is that these no coiners and these alt coiners are scamming people the no coiners are fudding people into not buying Bitcoin. And these altcoiners, I had lunch with two of my friends at the police department today, and they're talking about buying Ethereum and one of them's buying XRP and talking about Litecoin. And I'm just beating my head against the wall here because I'm thinking these, you know, even if they're not outright scams, they are affinity scams, right? I like Bitcoin by, by this altcoin, right? So they are, they are 
taking money that people would put into Bitcoin, money that people would be setting aside for generational wealth, money that people would be getting out of a crooked financial system, and they're putting it into junk. And so I like helping people. You know, I've, I've done a lot on the job. And, and we'll get into some of this, I'm sure. But, but Lincoln can tell you, too, anybody that's been a police officer for even one year has so much life experience now. Mm-hmm. And so it, it really is an aspect of, you know, I have some criticisms of police, but, but at, at the base, at the base, we really do help people. That's really our art. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'll definitely second what uh, Brandon just said there. You know, most folks probably don't really know what police do day to day. And it's, not exactly what people think we do. We, it's not just a uh, run and gun. I mean, a majority of my calls are helping people through hard times in their lives. And I'm sure Brandon is very similar. Um, you know, we, we go to when people's loved ones pass away, we're the ones that have to tell people. Uh, when uh, a kid runs away, when uh, husband and wife are fighting, we're the ones that have to go. Um, and unfortunately, people see that in a negative light. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think we walk away. We're not thanked very often. And if, if that's the kind of person you are, you need to be thanked a lot, then this isn't going to be the job for you. But, uh, you know, from one minute, you're going to be going, doing CPR on somebody, uh, saving their life. And then the next, you're going to go have to deal with a, a parent who needs help, uh, suggestions on how to, to parent their kid. Um, so it, it genuinely, you, it's a small wins and you have to personally recognize it because nobody on the outside recognizes it or a lot of people don't I should say a lot of people do and you know the loud voices say that you know they criticize police all the time and stuff and there are some fair criticisms that I'm sure we'll get into but uh, a lot of the time we genuinely do a lot of good for people and I think you're going to be hard-pressed to find a police officer that that doesn't want to do the right thing I think I, I still have yet to come across one and I've you know been doing this for over eight about eight years now so um, I think Brandon probably would agree with that. So, absolutely. Okay, brilliant answers. Well, do you want to say goodnight to the guys and then? Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Well, See thanks you. for your questions. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Lauren. Guys. Bye, Lauren. Nice, nice meeting you. Sleep well. You too. Bye. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate yeah. uh, you you answering those questions. And yeah, so many different directions. I want to I want to take this. Because, yeah, I think it was you, Brandon, that was saying, you know, right now we're, we're living through this time where there's so much hate and distrust in the world, a lot of Karening. Do you guys use that around the, the, the stations? Not really. <laughs> No, no, no. Uh, that that's that's not. You, you don't have the Karen memes and the uh, and the police departments that like we do on Bitcoin Twitter. We, nothing, nothing. We're going to admit to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you you must see some of this. What what fascinates me about you guys is your 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 Bitcoiners. You're down the rabbit hole, so you see the world in. A, a unique way now since interacting with Bitcoin and we'll go both down the rabbit hole for, for each of you and find, find out how you, how you came to, to find Bitcoin or 
Bitcoin or how Bitcoin come to find you, which is generally generally what happens. Um, but you you so you see that and you see that optimism that that brings. But then obviously your your day to day is dealing, as you said, Lincoln, with with some pretty harsh situations at one point at any point during the day and seeing people at their lowest ebb. So it must be a really weird place for you guys to be. I mean, it's hard for me as a Bitcoin podcaster to, to look out on the world and see the narratives that are being pushed by governments and, you know, certain political lobbyist groups and then see Bitcoin and be exposed to the people that I get to, to speak with. And it's just, that's difficult, but I don't have that tangible aspect to, to, you know, my side of my life that you guys do. So Lincoln, if, uh, if I throw the question across to you, how do you find yourself dealing with that when, when you see Bitcoin and you're part of Bitcoin Twitter mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you hear the podcasts and you're forming one worldview, but at the same time plugged directly into the narrative. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's, it is, it's a quick switch for me. Um, you know, I, I look, I like, like we, like Brandon actually already alluded to. I buy Bitcoin not for myself. I never plan on, on changing it back into fiat. It is for my kids. Uh, for my family to continue on. Um, and I think a lot of the people that we deal with are kind of that, uh, probably the unknowing victims of this short time preference, right? Um, so you have, we deal with, we see the people that literally have the shortest time preference that they, that are, it's practically possible. They're the people that are caught in this system of abusing drugs of uh, stealing from other people. Uh, they don't care who they hurt, uh, abuse, all that kind of stuff. So to see kind of um, the side of Bitcoin Twitter or, or Bitcoin and reading about it, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Gigi's work, the uh, 21 lessons. Uh, and uh, or, uh, so that kind of stuff, it really pulls you out of a lot of what we're doing, um, looking at a big picture instead of focusing on that, like I said, that day to day. You're not going to find people that are thanking you. You're going to be uh, spit on, yelled at, cussed at, flipped off everywhere you go. And if you're focusing on that, man, it is devastating on your psyche. That's why law enforcement has a huge uh, uh, issue with alcoholism, because it's hard to go through that. And you wear a uniform, much like any other career. Um, these people don't know anything about us. Uh, as a person, they wouldn't know whether or not I agree with them on what they're arguing about, what they're standing for, anything like that. I just have a job to do, and it's and it's difficult. So that Bitcoin really has uh, opened up more positivity for me, gives me that long time preference, something that I can look forward to, something that I know I'm securing for my family, uh, and that that's kind of what really really keeps me driving towards learning more about Bitcoin, listening, engaging with people. Uh, so awesome thank you man brandon over to you so i agree with the, a lot of what lincoln said uh i think he and i probably work in in a little bit of a different kind of jurisdiction i 
in the Southeast U.S. and in my community, we have a lot more support than in many communities. So um, in my department particularly, we have a lot more libertarian uh, type people, type officers than in most parts of the country. So um, there's there's a lot of congruency with uh, my profession and my department and my city and Bitcoin. So, so we already have a lot of the same ethos in my department as far as um, wanting to preserve civil liberties. So we, we do think, I've had many conversations with fellow officers about um, what our goal is, right? It's, it truly is helping people. It's, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying there's never, never mistakes or anything like that uh, or, or bad choices or bad hires or any of that kind of stuff. But I will say that we live in a pretty supportive part of the United States. And um, so I'm, I'm really thankful to be doing the, the job that I'm doing where I'm at. I, I will say I would not be a police officer in almost any city in our country. There's very few places that I would be willing to do it because I have, I have seen a lot. Right. I've seen a whole lot. I've been in this job for 14 years and I'm, I'm just not willing to do it for ungrateful people. You know, so I would find another job. I'd find another line of work. I'd go work construction or I'd go do something. Right. I mean, there's a lot of things that. So so Stonewall, Stonewall Bitson, Stony B on Twitter, like running an excavator, building huge rock walls. How cool is that? Like I would go do something like that. Right. So um, I, I live in a really supportive community, but I will say, um, let me draw a parallel for you. There's police officers. Have you noticed how many bodybuilders, how many red-pilled health enthusiasts, the, the who's the state guy? Sean Baker. You know, P.D. Mangum, Mangan, you know, the, these guys that are influencers in different areas. And now there's that playboy girl, right? Or, you know, playmate, whatever she is. These people that see the world as it is, and I have a different worldview from some of that, of course, but people that see the world as it is and people that see through the lies of, you know, the, the federal government, they, they want you to believe something, right? And we'll get into some of that, I would imagine, but they want you to believe their narrative, I can't believe their narrative. I see different than their narrative every day. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty easy for me and for my coworkers to see Bitcoin for what it is, because we already see the world differently than, than we're told. Yeah. Yeah. We can definitely go down that rabbit hole. And I should have made it clear at the beginning of the show, you guys have never met and you're in completely different parts of the country. You work for, you know, like uh, this, this was so great to, to connect with you guys when I put that tweet out about, you know, are there any Bitcoin or police officers and you two popped up, bam. So uh, I, I hope this leads to a, a further discussion for you guys and, um, you know, a good connection. Um, so let, let's, let's stick on that because Brandon, I think you said some point in, in our DM discussions that you had kind of a thesis on what was going on in the cities uh, and you just brought that up. Like you, you wouldn't want to work in, in one of the cities. Um, what, what is that and what is the main reason? So when, when you hear people talking about why do we keep having these issues with police abuse or 
why don't we keep having these police officers shooting black men and stuff like that? So if you notice, this is almost always happening in a big city, right? And I have a theory on why that is. My theory is this. Big cities have higher crime rates, more poverty. So the officers that work those cities are usually getting paid less, and they're usually dealing with a much more stressful job than the suburbs, right? Or rural counties, more rural cities. So my theory is this, and it's not just a theory, it's an observation. The, The largest one of the largest cities in my area is about 45 minutes away from, from where I I live and work. And we have so many of their officers that want to get hired at our department. So who are we going to hire? Are we going to hire the best ones or are we going to hire middle tier? Are we going to hire the worst ones, right? Well, we're going to hire the best ones, the best ones that apply. We will hire if they don't get hired with us, us being a top tier department in our area, they're going to try to go work for a middle tier department, a smaller department, a department that that pays about what they're making now, but with less crime or a department that pays more with the same amount of crime. Every police officer is looking to work with the best work conditions and pay possible, right? It's it's only natural. So what's happening is this city that I'm thinking about in, in my head, what happens is they have a lot of turnover. They have a lot of vacancies. Last I heard, they were something like 20 or 30% down in manpower based on their budget from what they are actually able to put on the streets because nobody wants to work there, right? So when they do get somebody that works for them that is a, a quality officer, they always leave, right? They always leave. And when they leave, who gets promoted? Who makes who, who makes sergeant, who makes lieutenant, who makes captain in these kind of departments? Well, it's the best of the worst, right? Or people that have been there so long that now they feel stuck or something along those lines. So my theory is that these cities hemorrhage their best officers to other departments. And then over time, what happens is you have a lower quality officer working for that department and you know, leading that department, making managerial decisions, supervisory decisions in that department. And so you get what you pay for, right? Everywhere and every time you get what you pay for. And so I think with the pay and the the stress levels, and I think Lincoln would agree with me that any police officer that's been on the job for, I'd say three years, 95% of police officers that have been on the job for three years have had to deal with some very critical incident stress management might have PTSD. They might've had to see a counselor. They might keep it all bottled up inside, but you see things. And so, you know, these, these police officers are looking to work in the best conditions possible. So I think the reason that you see more of this happening in big cities is the officers have less of a connection with the city, which is something that, that I think is a big problem. And then it's exacerbated by the fact that the most talented, the most skilled, the most, you know, intelligent, whatever it might be, officers are leaving. And, you know, whether that theory holds true to many major cities, I know that it holds true with the major city near me. And I theorize that it's probably a problem elsewhere. I'd be interested to hear what Lincoln has to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, you know, it is, and it, 
it does go back because in, in my bio, it says I work in California and it, and it obviously is a very big difference from the Southeast. Um, we do see, and I don't work for a, a, a large department per se, uh, but we do see turnover still. And it, and it is right. It's that lack of connection to the city is huge. Um, the stress level, I would say, isn't much different than <clears throat> some other agencies. Um, we have a supportive community, but it's, again, they're not the vocal majority, right? They're, they're that silent, uh, they're the silent majority. And we have that vocal uh, minority that comes out. And those are the ones that yell at us. Those are the ones we deal with. Those are the ones that spit on us. Um, you know, we have the same thing in this state. Our issue isn't so much good people go in different places. Good people find different careers. Uh, this is a difficult state to be a police officer in. Uh, you look at major cities, LAPD, you look at San Francisco, Oakland, all these other cities. Nobody wants to work there. The oversight is is just, it's just obnoxious. Um, not because of necessarily things that people do that are wrong. It is just there. Everybody is so cautious. And again, we're going to get back to that short time preference. People are so quick to sue and cities are so quick to pay out here that you're wrong no matter what. Your city doesn't defend you. Uh, people don't want to work somewhere where they're not going to feel supportive. And if an administration is quick to turn on you because you made a decision that ended up uh, turning out poorly based on probably a thousand different factors that really you had almost no control or, you know, you have that one decision out of a thousand uh, that, that could have happened and it all falls on you. Uh, it's a big one. I think that it goes back though to police officers are being asked to do a lot more than law, uh, do law enforcement, especially here in California. Um, it's in the national news. I'm, I'm sure that most people know California has an unbelievable uh, issue with transients and homeless. We are now being used as mental health counselors for people that are, are homeless, they're transient individuals. Uh, we're, not, we're no longer law enforcement for the most part. I mean, out of my day, probably 90% of my calls uh, deal with people in crisis and nothing to do with law enforcement, but because police officers, especially in this state, police departments have failed to say what our job is and people don't like the job sometimes. So we've been forced to do this more community service role where we're, where we're doing this uh, uh, mental health counselors. And it's, it's really difficult on us because that's not A, what I signed up for. It's B, not what I'm trained for. I, you know, I, we're getting more training all the time, but police officers don't wanna be mental health counselors because that's not what we wanted to do. We want to be law enforcement. We want to catch the people doing the wrong things, but a majority of the time, that's not it. We're, we're parents to people who have never parented their child and now at 14, the child is acting out and the parents have no idea what to do. So uh, like I said, it, I'm sure in California, more than the Southeast, very different type of policing. Um, and, and I think that we lost that connection back when we moved into patrol cars because we don't walk the streets. Cities are too big. It's huge out here. We don't get out and know the person unless they're a troublemaker. Um, so we sit in our cars and we drive around. And, and that's that's been very, uh, it's been a huge detriment to this profession in terms of dealing with people because 
we're not forced to. We're not walking beats. We're not walking uh, downtown um, because we have to be in cars. There's four of us for 60,000 people where I work in the city. And that's unrealistic to think you're not going to be in your car uh, all the time. And I don't even work in a big city. <laughs> so, you know, I can only imagine what the, uh, the uh, officers, the men and women down in L.A., or uh, San Francisco, Oakland, even Redding, California, which most people, if you, unless you live in California, haven't really heard of. Uh, I, I can't even imagine what they see and do. Uh, but we've really lost that connection to the the community through uh, community policing. Is honestly what it is out here. It's 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 no longer looking after the community. It is babysitting individuals and never saying no. And that's just been an evolution of this profession in in this state, at least for the last uh, probably twenty years. Uh, probably actually even since Reagan shut down all the uh, mental health inst uh, uh, institutions, um, it's been evolving into that, that we are called on more for non-police matters than we ever have before. So, How often, when, when you just get called out, how often do you have the meme in the back of your head, fix the money, fix the world? <laughs> Brandon, you want to go for that one? Yeah, I, I, a lot. Yeah, a lot. It's it really is like Lincoln was saying earlier, a lot of people's problems stem from their low time preference, right? They're encouraged by monetary policy to spend their money before it it devalues. They're encouraged to go in debt. Debtors look, debtors win, savers lose, right? So that there is so much of our society that pushes people into that that fiat mindset and so it it really is that people dig themselves these massive holes and if we had a you know if we had the return of sound money and then that would that would degrade all of these terrible things that you see around you it would it would take away a lot of the foundation that all that's built on so I, I love the meme. I'm, you know, it, there's a lot of truth to it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that uh, you you fix the money, fix the world. And, it, and it's difficult to tell people um, because most of the people we deal with, at least where we're out here in California, they are high time preference people. They, they just don't know any different. They've, and one of the big problems, honestly, is, is that, they've been told their whole life they've been taught to believe this they've been taught to think that they're high time preference because their families have been low income or whatever uh, individuals throughout in in society that uh that they've been given handouts when they need it and there are believe me there are times when i know that handouts are needed that people do need help getting back on their feet but they're never taught actually how to stand up they're given the hand and then the hand just keeps coming and coming and coming. They never actually have to stand back up. And that's because of government policy. Um, and, and, you know, I, it's funny, I, I was, and I know I'll get roasted by a lot of people for this. I was actually a big supporter of Andrew Yang uh, before I actually really got into Bitcoin and really dedicated myself to learning more about it. Because I saw when we get these stimulus paychecks, everybody seems to quiet down. People don't, there's less crime, there's less, fewer fights, there are you know, no more domestic violence incidents, um, less thefts because people have money in their pocket. So I thought that, you know, well, you give out some money 
and maybe that'll help. And now looking back, I see more of the root cause and that's kind of been my evolution, you know, that, uh, that I, I see where this is stemming from, not just this, this temporary cure that we're prescribing to these individuals. And uh, that's been obviously very transformative for me. We should do the rabbit holes then. That's probably a good place. That's probably a good place to use the rabbit hole stories. So Lincoln, if you want to, if you want to go ahead with yours and then we'll kick it across to Brandon. Sure. Uh, so I got in very late. Well, we're all early. We're all still early. Um, I actually was, it was my kid's birthday uh, and a buddy of mine gave from high school, uh, elementary school, actually, he gave them a card and in the card was two pieces of paper. One was for one kid, one was for the other kid and it had 12 words written down on it. And uh, I looked at it and I, I left the papers kind of just hanging around our house for a while. He didn't push it. He didn't ask about it. He just, that was it. And uh, so probably, man, five, six months later, I finally got around to putting those seed phrases into a, uh, a wallet, uh, started playing around, didn't really recognize the, the impact of that, that that was going to have on my life. Uh, so of course, just like most people, I looked into all the altcoins and the DGEN stuff, um, looked into trading, never did because I knew the tax implications would kill me because all, all my income is recorded. So if all of a sudden I had money start popping out, then uh, you don't get, you, you can't hide that. But uh, so then I started actually following and reading. Uh, I read the Bitcoin standard and that's what really changed my, my view. That buddy of mine is still one of my best friends. I, uh, every time I see him, uh, he lives out of out of state now, but uh, every time I see him, I, I thank him. He he has changed my the course of my life. Uh, he's changed that that one gift, and it was again, it was to my kids. It wasn't even to me. Um, that really started us on something that it, it's a whole paradigm shift uh, that has moved me to really change who I am. My my time preference is low uh, lowered. You know, I. Like Matt O'Dell says, if your car isn't older than Bitcoin, you're short Bitcoin. Well, mine is. I've, you know, I've followed that kind of stuff too. Um, so every every time I see him, I think I thank that one friend. He he is really just he's changed the course of my life. I know that he's changed the course of my kids' lives. Um, and through hopefully through me, I've been able to, you know, get my elderly parents. They 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 got off zero. Uh, I've helped my godparents. They're off zero. I've helped friends at work they're off zero. I have the white paper, uh, a booklet from coin center, uh, at my desk. Anybody can read it at work. Um, so I think that that one gift has really just changed the course of hopefully several people's lives. And, and I, I can't thank him enough for that. Yeah. It's uh, safe chalks up another, another win with, with the Bitcoin standard. What a, what a brilliant book and what a great gesture from your friend. And now I'm what I, I'm envisioning like your your car, and all I can see is the Blues Brothers patrol car. Because <laughs> I can't say that my uh, my city has the low time preference that I have, but uh, it, when you go to a police, especially out here in California, you go to a police department's uh, parking garage. It's uh, pretty much brand new cars, trucks, Teslas, everything. So um, mine definitely uh, it, it's a it sticks out like a sore thumb for sure. 
So when you turn up in the Lambo, people are going to be like, uh, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. It doesn't need- help. It doesn't help with contract negotiations when you keep buying new cars to try and tell the city you don't have enough money because of the inflation. Then they they shake their heads. So. <laughs> All right, Brandon, over to you, man. What's the uh, what was your kind of glimpse into the rabbit hole and, and what pulled you in? Okay, so my rabbit hole is through the path of the gold bug. Back in 2012, I read a book, Whatever Happened to Penny Candy? I ran it, read it on an airplane. It's, it's basically a primer for inflation. And so I, I didn't have a clue about any of this stuff, right? Read the book, read it a second time, and was absolutely floored. I took the prepper route for a little while, bought so much food, so much water. I <clears throat> took that route. That led me to gold and silver. I was a huge silver bug. And in 2015, one of the gold bug channels that I used to, to watch, Future Money Trends, they had an interview with a guy named Trace Mayer. And Trace went through his seven network effects spiel, and he was putting out price targets of, I said 2015, it was 2016, I apologize. And so he was putting out price targets of $3,500 for Bitcoin. He, ex- he was explaining how it was digital gold, how it was a better version of gold. And Bitcoin at the time was around 500 bucks, right? Summer of 2016. And so he's talking about $3,500. And I'm sitting here with, with gold and silver that has just lost value for several years, right? And so... I decide I'm going to investigate this, right? So I, st- I went down the YouTube path and watched all kinds of YouTube videos and didn't even know about Bitcoin Twitter until, um, when was it? About November of 2016. So I went several months of just YouTube videos, which was which is not great quality now. And it was worse then. So, um, but it was enough to where I saw the potential. I saw what was going to happen. I really started understanding um, Bitcoin. And so I started buying a little bit, buying more, buying more. Um, are we going to have a point during this podcast where we tell our biggest Bitcoin regret? Because I have a great story, Daniel. Go go for it. Go for it. All right, I got to go for it. So I, I was using purse.io. If you've been around for for several years, you might remember Purse. Um, I bought a dehumidifier rod using Bitcoin and Amazon. They they had this little scheme where they were were doing Bitcoin and Amazon kind of link ups. I could explain it, long story. But I I bought a $60 uh, dehumidifier rod for my gun safe, about 0.1 Bitcoin. It got delivered. It was not compatible with my safe and I didn't want to drill a hole in my safe. So I stuck that rod in a closet and left it for a couple of years until I wound up giving it away. So I was using Bitcoin for purchases early on, not realizing exactly what I had. And as time went on, I started holding more. I started buying more, sold gold and silver, sold the gold mining stocks that I, that I owned and, um, all in Bitcoin now. It's it's the entirety of my investment strategy. Keep it simple, right? Just keep it down to, to one thing. So you um you said as well that uh, you went the prepper route. Uh, were you kind of vindicated around March of last year when uh, you know everybody was locked down? You were like, 
Yeah, I got that. I got this covered, guys. No worries. My wife was so happy with me. She's given me so much junk over the years because I have two closets in our house full of food, right? I have paper towels, toilet paper. I still have a lot of that stuff. And so, um, yeah, she was very happy with me at that time. She never thought she would be, but she is. Excellent. So I got to ask you guys, uh, you know, a real dumb high time kind of preference question. Favorite, favorite cop movie. I'll take that. Uh, well, I, it has to, it's a dumb one, but super troopers has always just been its <laughs> my generation. And uh, by far, it, you know, I was a little, I was a little late to like the police academies, but, but, Definitely the uh, the Super Troopers is, is my favorite. Well, mine is the greatest Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard. Uh, John yes. McClane was just an inspiration, right? You, 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 see, <laughs> you see Batman movies and all the police officers are incompetent. They can't shoot. They can't fight. They can't chase. They can't run. John McClane is not that kind of police officer. So that was my favorite. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, for me growing up, uh, Blues Brothers, I've mentioned already, I, I just loved that film. I know it's not a cop movie, but they, they had the uh, the classic cop car. Uh, I grew up with the Police Academy films and they were always, you know, they're great fun. Um, but yeah, Super Troopers, I was going to, to pull that out. Um, and I was watching the other day, Rewatched randomly um, The Departed with uh, mm -hmm. DiCaprio and Damon. And I would like to get kind of an insider's view on that film. Is that just like pure Hollywood kind of hype? Or is that was that a pretty good representation of what might have been going on back in those days? Do you guys have any kind of insights to that? I don't have any insights on it. Um, it, you know, I really don't, don't, work in any kind of dynamic similar to that we have such a professional department so much oversight so much supervision um it, it doesn't ring true for me but you know who knows back in the day things have changed so much since i got hired on 14 years ago you know so so who's to say back you know a couple decades ago what what it would have looked like in some of those kind of places great movie though Yeah, you know, it, it is, it is, uh, it has to be exaggerated. I mean, I'm sure that there's been a lot of crazy stuff. I've, I've heard all the stories from the old timers in the teaching the academy, you know, oh, we put our ear up to the door and uh, we knew it was a drug dealer's house. And, oh, I think I hear somebody uh, saying help inside, and kicking the door and, you know, it's just a drug bust. Um, so, you know, that that happened. Uh, but today's day and age i mean we've been using uh body-worn cameras since 2014 so you're not you're not going to see that type of stuff anymore it's, it's much more accountable it, it's i don't want to say legitimized but it has in the eyes of the public at least uh things like that the body-worn cameras um have definitely legitimized a lot of our actions uh in in the eyes of the public uh, so 
So I got a question about, uh, you brought this up earlier about like the federal government and now, now you guys are Bitcoiners and you, you, you've been down a rabbit hole and you understand um, how, uh, you know, policies and regulations get in the way of, of your jobs. I'm sure you are handcuffed by God knows how much administrative BS that, you know, if you weren't shackled to doing, you could actually be out doing the policing that you, you wanted to do. What, what have you, you know, is this, is this a problem that is just becoming too much? Like, uh, is there too much overreach in, in your day-to-day kind of jobs from, from the policymakers? And, and how, do you, how do you guys feel that, that, do we see any change? Do we see any kind of reversal here? What are your thoughts there, Lincoln? Uh, it's hard because every, well, and that's kind of the problem. The, the reason why it's hard for me to even answer that is because it all bleeds together. I don't know what necessarily the federal, you know, uh, in terms of federal policies, obviously civil rights stuff, anything like that is in, enforced through the, the federal courts and stuff. But what what I see the main issue is, is that localities have suffered greatly due to the, the uh, standardization of policing from federal and, and state side. So a community has a difficult time dictating what they want their police department to focus on sometimes because the mandates come from the state, which has probably has uh, very little input from the local side. So what you're seeing is, is that these state policies that these state, um, and, and sometimes federal, but more, more often definitely state, um, and that people don't know what goes on in their own community. Uh, we, we don't see, most people in my town couldn't name the council members that, that technically make decisions on behalf of our town. Uh, they don't know what district they're in. They don't know who's running for even their local representatives. Uh, and it's because, it's because we have moved so far into paying attention to whatever is going on in Washington, D.C., that people stopped caring about what's happening at home. And it's one of those things, take care of your own house first. And people can't do that because they'll, they'll tell you all sorts of different reasons, but I think it's because of the federal overreach and that, that the state overreach. Uh, and then you look at, you know, unelected local officials making decisions and people went along with it and it, it makes it difficult. Um, you want to see what's really going on and especially like for us, because we're, pretty much as transparent as it gets, go to your local police department and ask to see their activity log for the day. See what types of calls are going to. You wanna see what type of uh, uh, issues your city has, ask, how, ask for your uh, Freedom of Information Act on your, uh, between the police chief and the city council. Uh, that kind of stuff is eye-opening. And, and it's a problem is, is that we've moved so far, the focus is, is so far for me, so far east, that, that people don't even pay attention what's in, in their backyard. Uh, so that's, that's kind of my view on that side. How about you, Brandon? What do you think in that? I don't see as much problem from the federal side. Um, a, a major problem that I see is a dehumanization of police officers, a, a sense in which these guys are road pirates or these guys are statists or these guys are bullies or these guys just joined the police department so that they could have power over others well not really i mean I, i'm not going to say that anybody's motives are completely pure 
I don't know what everybody's motives are, but I can tell you for the, for the guys that I work with, we really do want to help people, you know, at least at first. And then, you know, if, if, if the system, if the criminal justice system gets you jaded or cynical, or if you have PTSD because of some of the stuff that you've seen, you know, some of that stuff can, can lead police officers to be jaded um, or kind of callous. Um, But we really do have good intentions at heart. And so, What's difficult is when somebody in some state I've never even been to does some knucklehead stupid thing, and then now I look bad, right? Well, I don't condone what he did. I don't agree with what he did. I wasn't there. I don't know this guy. I'm, I'm not in any way liable, and yet my reputation takes a hit, even though I've never had any kind of you know, use of force complaint against me. I've never had any kind of, you know, misconduct allegations. I've never had any kind of credible complaint against me. And yet, you know, here I am taking a black eye because of what some dummy did that probably didn't need to be a police officer in the first place. But this city is 30% down on manpower. So who do you hire? Well, you hire whoever will do the job. That's who you hire. You hire whoever is capable of lifting a handgun, whoever's capable of writing their name on a report, right? So it's, it's some of those dynamics at play. That's very frustrating to, to get painted with that broad brush when you really do have a, you know, desire to do right. So, yeah, yeah. for sure. And I, and I, I do agree. And, and the, part of the problem is that, we are there to just do our jobs. We didn't write, and I tell people this all the time, I didn't write the law. I am required to enforce it because somebody that either you voted for or your parents voted for, they enacted a law and they're the ones that, that pushed this forward. I didn't write it. So you're, you're anger at me because I'm the one telling you that you did something that somebody else said was wrong. Um, that it's a misdirected, you know, uh, anger and, and frustration. And that, and again, we go right back to people don't pay attention to what's going on in their, their own state. Uh, we had a back in 2014 had the safe schools act passed safe schools act had nothing to do with safe schools. It had everything to do with decriminalizing, uh, drugs that possession was now a misdemeanor and that people only get tickets for everything, uh, possession of any kind of drug, methamphetamine, heroin fentanyl, anything. They get a ticket and they're on their way. Uh, somebody breaks into your car uh, and that the loss is less than $950. They get a ticket and they get to walk away. And then people get frustrated. The, the victims and suspects, suspects are mad at us because they got caught. No big deal. The victims are mad because their stuff just got stolen or they, you know, their property was damaged and this person's getting a ticket. And they don't look and say, maybe I had some hand in this. Maybe there's something I can do. They just forced, they look at us. And I agree with Brandon that there was a dehumanizing uh, of law enforcement. We are people just like everybody else. We have to put on a straight face. We have to go out and support our families. Um, and it's, and it is, it is difficult at times, but look in the mirror folks. Sometimes you do have to look in the mirror and, and realize what you're allowing to happen um, by either, you know, not reading the bill, uh, electing these people, and, and make some changes on your own side. Um, but in, in the meantime, I can vote however I want to as a private citizen. 
um, whether or not I agree with the law, if it's enacted, I got, I have to do my job and that's kind of the way I have to look at it. So. Well, and I'd like to specify too, that, that, that aspect of enforcing the law, I, I think Lincoln would agree with me on this. We're not talking about violating citizens' rights. You know, people want to say, you know, people want to say that police officers are just the, the same as in Nazi Germany, you know, oh, uh, we were just doing our job, yeah. taking Jews to, to, you know, internment camps and concentration camps. We're not, we're not talking about violating somebody's Fourth Amendment rights or somebody's First Amendment rights, or we're not talking about enforcing laws that do that, right? Mm-hmm. I recognize that people have natural, God-given rights. And so I'm not going to enforce any law that infringes upon those. So they can pass whatever the law, law that they want, and if they get upset at me for not enforcing it, they can fire me. And that's just the way that it is. And so, but at the same time, a law that I hate is a seatbelt law. I, I hate a seatbelt law, but I'm willing to enforce it because I do not view that as a violation of somebody's rights. So I don't just enforce the laws that I like or the laws that I prefer. I would have voted against a seatbelt law if I was given the option. And yet at the same time, I recognize that my role is not to create law. My, my role is to enforce law. And so as long as the law does not violate somebody's rights in my eyes, I have no problem enforcing it, even if I per- personally dislike the law. And that's kind of where I've, I've come down on all of this. Let me ask you guys a question. Can you think of any state? Now, Daniel, I know you, you being over, overseas over in the UK, I, I don't know that you would know this, but are there any states that have passed a mask law? To my knowledge, every state is simply a governor's decree. Are you familiar with that, Lincoln? Have you? Can you think of any that have passed a law? So we have a health and safety code that technically, for you know, different counties are enforcing as it's not a law. It's it's a uh, it's a code that's enforced during a time an emergency time, as they call it. But uh, it's technically enforceable by citation, by a fine. Um, and if you're not willing to sign the citation, then jail. Um, and that's that's straight. That's right here in California. Uh, nobody voted on it. These are unelected officials, which makes it difficult. And I can tell you that that in this profession, how our officers are, are viewing that law. Uh, I can tell you that we have never issued one of those citations, never taken anybody to jail over it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it depends on, I guess, what you, you would consider a law. There is punishment for it if you don't do it for the mask. And that was early on. Um, okay. So that was now, something that we had. Now, let me ask you this. Would it not be considered more legitimate since we've had COVID for a year and all these states have mask ordinances? Wouldn't you think it would be le- more legitimate to codify it as a law? <laughs> Do you want to know why? Do you know why? You understand that that has not happened for a reason. The reason they have not done that one is because they've seized enough power at the governor level Mm -hmm. to, and people have obeyed that for long enough to where they're used to it. But two, they haven't done that because then there would be someone to hold accountable, Mm -hmm. right? Because if you have a local representative that voted yes for a mask law and you didn't think that there needed to be a mask law, now you have somebody that you can vote out. So I don't want to get derailed with the mask stuff too much, but I, I'm really aggravated that all these states that do have mask ordinances have not passed a law 
about that because you're asking police officers to enforce a governor's health edict. And I, you know, I'm even willing to say if this is an emergency and you have to get this done now, then okay. Like I, I might could, I might could see the sense there, but you've had time to pass a law, right? You've had time to let the representatives of the people make this decision and it not be done at the governor level. So that's just kind of a rant. I'm sorry if I sidetracked. No, that's that's good because I, I I did want to touch on that because it's it's just become such a political mess this this whole COVID thing and it must be so difficult to police COVID you know that the, the mask thing um, in particular and here in Europe yeah they're, no they're not laws right they're 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 just they're not laws um, so you you do see the the odd person standing up for for their rights and um and whatever else um but i yeah i i'd not realized brandon until then you framing it like that that the reason purely the reason they don't want to pass it as a law because they fear for their job down the line and they don't want to take accountability and that's just another level of conceit for the whole the whole bloody thing to be honest um but yeah i think I think it might even be worse than that. I think it might just be that they don't see the need to do that, right? It mm-hmm. might just simply be that, hey, the governor has seized this authority and we're just okay with that. And so to me, I, to me, I think that might even be worse that our elected representatives don't realize, hey, we need to make this more legitimate and not an emergency kind of thing because it's been a year, right? And some of these states have been having mask ordinances for a long time now. You know, pass a law. Pass a law. If you want me to enforce something, pass a law. But they won't. That's yeah. That's that's the key, man. Have you guys had any? I was going to ask you about this this last year and and how this has played havoc throughout um, different states across America. You know, everybody handles things differently. That's that's when you see like um, the U.S. can be kind of decentralized to to a certain extent. Uh, you know, which um, I think hopefully it, it will, as Bitcoin starts playing out, we've seen it already in um, Miami and Texas and Wyoming, uh, the, the kind of game theory playing out amongst um, some officials, uh, you know, adopting Bitcoin, et cetera. Uh, what kind of challenges have you had to face over the last year that, um, you know, has, has made you kind of question, again, having a Bitcoin mindset, uh, you know, what's going on right now? I think just uh, kind of what we've all been touching on this, we've become so focused on what the, you know, what the government's going to allow, or we don't make, we don't take personal responsibility anymore as a country, as a state, at least for my state, um, we don't take responsibility for our actions anymore. And, and people are very quick to call out other people for not following certain rules. Um, but the sad part is, is that there's no such thing as personal responsibility, at least in where I am and what we see. Uh, and, and that's one of the hardest things for me um, to do is, is be society's babysitter that we get calls. They're not social distancing. They're not wearing masks. It's again, it's just not what I signed up for. It's not what I want to do, especially for something that isn't like Brandon said, it's, it's not a law. It's just a decree. Uh, 
that somebody made that that type of stuff has made it this last year very difficult i think on a lot of a lot of officers even in this state to see what what the extent at which people have kind of just laid down and and not pushed back at all and when you do push back you're socially ridiculed to the point where you disappear because you you can't speak out how dare you speak out against the government how about how dare you speak out against um you, you know your community you're killing grandma for the Dow kind of stuff and, and and you're pushed into silence and you just so you don't say anything and then you don't realize how many more people probably agree with you or how many people at least would you know support that type or that the what you're saying and it, it's disheartening to see how quickly we gave up and it it was quick <laughs> Mm. Yeah, Brandon, do you want to um, pick up on that one? Yeah, like I've already said, my jurisdiction, my city uh, looks a lot different than what Lincoln's talking about out in California. So, I, I, frankly, I, I live in a great place uh, as far as COVID's concerned. I live in a great place as far as police relations with the community is concerned, police trust. So I, I have it. I have it a lot better than than that here. But I will say, I think this is yet another log on the fire of the decentralization of federal power. I really think that what we're seeing is we are seeing people, it, I think it started under Obama, it kept going under Trump, and it's, it's going under Biden. I, I really do think that we're seeing our, our power structures just disintegrating. I think we're seeing them disintegrating. And so... Um, I think we would all three agree that Bitcoin is going to be a massive solution to all of this, but people are just ignoring federal authority. And so I'm, I'm really encouraged to see that. I'm hoping that we can have as orderly of a, as possible of a transition to more localized authority, more localized control. If you guys or anybody listening does not follow Michael Krieger, on Twitter at Liberty Blitz. He's fantastic. He, I remember him from my gold bug days too. He's been saying this stuff for years. And I put something on Twitter the other day about how, um, I think I commented, uh, he saw all this stuff and, and was talking about it. And he was optimistic about the future when I was very pessimistic. And I think that's really one of the the secret sauces of Bitcoin is we have more optimism than any subset in society. We have a solution, whereas everybody else only sees the problems, right? So we have a solution. And, and, and really, Michael was, was one of the major forces, one of the major voices describing all of this decentralization in a way that made me feel hope and not helplessness. Because I was thinking like I've mentioned in already in this interview about how I went down the prepper route, right? That's a lot of sleepless nights. That was a lot of, of sorrow in my heart for our country, but I see a solution now. I see a way out and it gives me a lot of hope. Bitcoin is hope. We all know that. And it's, uh, yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I do know Michael and I've heard him as well on a, a few of the podcasts, Marty's in particular, uh, which was great. And uh, we've, we've DM'd because he's written a lot about um, homeschooling as well, which uh, is a, a very uh, kind of poignant point that I, I think both of these communities 
just will end up crossing over and uh, both both communities are on the rise. You know, uh, homeschooling rates are going through the roof around the world. And um, as we know, more and more Bitcoiners, not enough, but more and more Bitcoiners are, uh, are coming into the fray as well. Is there one, you've probably been asked this cheesy question many, many times, so you might have a stock answer for it, but does is there one particular policing moment that has happened in your career that, that still stands out for you? Lincoln, I'll hit you up. You know, um, it depends. The, the first time I ever had to point a gun at somebody was a, it's a big moment. Uh, luckily nothing came of it, but they, they, he had a rifle and luckily he wasn't looking in my way and he listened and, and things went very smoothly. Um, but that type of number one, it, it's a, it is, it's powerful and it's something you don't respect until much later in a career in your, in your life. Uh, that ability that literally uh, one inch of pull on, on one finger could have changed the trajectory of my life, that person's life, and probably countless others. Uh, that was a big one. Um, anytime you go like uh, out here, overdoses are big, obviously across the nation and something that's you want to talk about a public health crisis, <laughs> look at the, uh, the use of opioids in, in this country. Uh, yeah. But uh, going to that and seeing young people that have passed away from their addiction and having to talk to their parents uh, about it, those are, those are some of the hardest moments to watch somebody's life be cut short like that and watch a parent who probably, you know, most of the time didn't, wasn't terrible uh, um, for their kid, you know, 18 19 year old kid that overdosed on fentanyl. Um, those are, those are just, uh, you know, a couple, and I know it's not super specific, but you see how fleeting a lot of this stuff is and, and how important personal responsibility is and, and looking out for those around you and educating yourself. And uh, it just, it really echoes in times when life can be either cut short or is cut short. And you don't recognize it until later, until you, you walk away, you, you see more people, you see other, have other experiences. And it really does. It, it changes you. Those are, those are hard ones to, to uh, walk away from without feeling like something within you has changed. So. Mm -hmm. How about you, Brandon? Well, I, I, I agree with Lincoln. There's a lot of sorrow in, in a police officer's life. We see a lot of things that people that nobody knows about, but I'm going to give you an encouraging one. So um, I'll tell, tell you the story here. So I was traveling down a road in my city one night. It was about three o'clock at night. It was a weeknight and there was nobody really out and about. It was uh, after bar hours had let out all the, you know, anybody that had been in the bars are now at home or passed out wherever they're passed out at. Right. So I'm driving down the street and it's a dark, dark road. And I see a red glimmer out of the corner of my eye and I keep going. And I'm pretty sure that it was uh, in, in, in my area. Sometimes we have little red reflectors that people will put next to their driveway so they can see their driveway mm -hmm. uh, at night when they're, when they're turning in. So I was pretty sure that it was one of those, but I got a mile down, down the road or so, and I'm a very thorough person. And so I just decided, you know what, man, 
I'm going to keep thinking about this for the rest of the night if I don't go back and just check and make sure that that's what it was. So I was kind of annoyed at myself at just how anal I can be about this kind of thing. So I, I spun around in the middle of the road, you know, did a U-turn, turned my spotlight on and, and went back. Well, it was on my right side when I was traveling down the road. So I turned my, you know, go, go back. It's on my left now. So I'm looking over to the left and I see just the very back of a Jeep Wrangler that has run off the road and down into a ditch. And all I can see really are the taillights. The headlights were off. I don't know if my guy was, was driving with his lights off or what. So I tell dispatch what's going on. I get out, run over there to it. And the windshield is cracked. My guy is in the driver's seat slumped over and he's gasping for air. He was not wearing his seatbelt. He didn't have an airbag deploy. His head was smashed from, from the windshield. And um, I pull him out. We have to life flight him with the helicopter. We have to get him out of there with the helicopter. And so, you know, I saved the guy's life, right? If I had not found him, there was nobody else on the road. It was police officers and newspaper delivery drivers in about an hour, right? So there was just so few people on the road. It was so difficult to see the vehicle. So you have those moments in your career, and I'm sure Lincoln's had some of these too. You have these moments where legitimately, if you had called in sick that night, or if you had taken your family on vacation that night, somebody would have died. But the fact that you were there, the fact that you were paying attention, the fact that I was driving down the road and not playing on my phone in a parking lot somewhere, right? If, if I had just been goofing off, then this guy would have, he would have drowned in his own blood, right? So that's, it, it's things like that that keep me doing the job. You know, that and, and having a, a better work environment than, than many, but um, it's, it's the good parts of police work that make me want to do it. And you can't, you know, you can't have an experience like that working in an accountant's office, right? You can't have an experience like that um, as a pharmacist, right? You're not going to have, now you don't have the lows either, right? You don't have the person dying in your arms at an accountant's office, right? You don't have the, you don't have stuff like that either, but it, it really is so fulfilling when you're able to make a difference in somebody's life in a very real and tangible way that um, it's, it's, just, it's, it's great. That's awesome, man. Really cool. Um, before I ask the next question, Lincoln, you would, it looked like you had something to add or. Oh no, you, Brandon hit the nail on the head. I mean, there are, there are a ton of great stories. Uh, very positive. You know, I, you know, I pulled a girl off of a bridge trying to jump off. Um, she got whatever help she needed that day. Uh, you know, you, you've saved somebody from CPR kids watching kids are the hardest, but seeing them have a pulse again is a huge, it's a huge change in your life. And it, and it really is. You do it. And the one thing that most people don't recognize and Brandon was kind of saying, the people that you work with, you have this bond with them that most people don't understand. And, uh, you know, it's the, the life raft whole thing is that, you know, I see this other outside the job, outside, look in the future kind of thing and offering, you know, you've offered them a life raft. And I do that with people we work with too. When somebody ends up buying Bitcoin, whether it be 20 bucks or whatever, uh, that's a big win for me too. Something else that I feel good about and that, that there is hope and there's hope for pretty much everything, all of us, all of this stuff. There's always a good story to go 
with every bad story that we have. Um, so, so just rem remembering that there's hope out there, is, it really helps you, especially when things do get pretty negative uh, out there culturally. So, yeah, hope and hope.com. Hope yeah, hope, go to hope.com. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so it, it can be very negative, and it, because that is the narrative, right? This is what gets the clicks. This is what sells the newspapers. This is what keeps boomers tuning into the bloody news at 10 p.m., at least in the UK, looking at you, mom and dad, like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, you know. Um, but then, like, uh, here's a classic story that happened in the UK recently. There was a candlelight vigil by women in a park. And all of a sudden, because a, a, a lady was found dead there, and then all of a sudden that vigil gets broken up by a couple of police vans and arrests are made. And of course, this sets off the press and gets public opinion raging. I'm sure that was publicized around the world. Um, like my 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 question is as a complete onlooker to, to to all of this is like who makes that decision to send in those meat wagons like you know what what uh, and i know you guys are us and this is a uk issue but of course you've had your your challenges with uh, with the riots and whatever else in certain parts of the us over the last year um how i mean maybe i'm completely off base maybe that's a completely different part of um uh, policing and and i i mean i don't know because i'm not in it but uh if you could shed any light on that at all that'd be great yeah uh, i know the i saw the videos that you're referring to and um that that saying the proper planning prevents piss poor performance really comes into this um knowing what your mission is is, is critical especially in an event that is not necessarily dynamic like a planned vigil per se you should know what the limitations are uh, whenever we have demonstrations uh, here, we try and reach out to the organization, the organizers, whoever, give them a direct line to whoever's in charge for our side. They clearly know the boundaries, you know, what they can do, what they can't do. Uh, we're here to just encourage everybody to express their First Amendment rights um, without hurting others. Um, know that if, you know, if all of a sudden they're blocking an interstate highway, we're going to have to do something about it. So try and, you know, let them self-police each other like themselves. And uh, we, when you don't plan on that type of thing, this is what, this is what happens. And, you know, I, I can't say, I know exactly what those police officers were thinking, what drove them to the point where they were going after the protesters um, or they, they weren't even protesters. They were, they were people attending a vigil. Uh, for the, I believe her name was Sarah that, that mm. was killed. I mean, it's, and that kind of thing just makes us all shake our heads. Um, you know, it could have been avoided so easily or at least mitigated clear, you know, clear. And I, you don't, you're not going to get the full story from a 20 second snippet on, on Twitter. Um, so I'm sure there was more to that, but, but overall, if you just can plan ahead, talk to people, open that communication, understand, again, push it back, let them know if they don't behave, if they don't follow the rules that are pretty clearly established, that there are consequences for it. Uh, most people, even, you know, in, during all the protests in California and across the nation, um, a majority of people were pretty well behaved individuals. They're, they're, but they didn't get the coverage that the, uh, the rioters, the looters uh, got. So that 
it, it's sad that that happened, especially at something like a vigil. Mm -hmm. Anything to add, Brandon? Not really. I'm, I'm not familiar enough to, to really comment. I will say I have a lot of faith in my administrators and my city manager, um, public safety director, all these, all these different people that make these kind of decisions at the city level, even in my state, we, we just, we don't have these kind of issues, you know? So, um, I've, I, I don't want to dox too heavily here. I, I will say when we have had situations that could have gone sideways in other parts of the world or in other parts of the States, uh, we have handled those professionally and appropriately. We've stayed off the news. So I don't really, oh. I'm not familiar enough with what happened over there to, to give much comment though. I'm sorry. Yeah, no problem, man. Right guys, this has been, um, really, uh, you know, eye opening for me to, to, to speak to two officers, uh, especially, uh, in West and in completely different States and get, um, some, you know, real knowledge because we, we are so starved of that, you know, people like myself, you know, we, we see some crazy stuff coming out of the States sometimes, right? You know, of course, we're only going to see the really weird stuff that's always going to come to the, um, you know, come to the front of the news pages and um, the highly publicized kind of like uh, tweets or, or little videos. So to speak to you guys, a couple of Bitcoin uh, policemen on the ground is, is just, is, you know, I've got a big smile on my face. It's been great to meet you both. And it gives, you know, we, here's that word again. It gives me hope that, you know, moving forward as more and more people do discover Bitcoin and discover sound money and lower their time preference, it changes so much. And th at a societal level, that is what I am so damn bullish about. And so I just want to say, you know, thank you both for your service. I really appreciate you, uh, you coming on the show. Thank you. Yeah, it was a, it was a pleasure. It's, there are more of us than I think we realize. Um, and I think that, that it's growing. The community is obviously growing all the time and it's, it's definitely exciting to be a part of that and in in to be able to think independently The the job, it, it is a job to me. Um, it's not who I am. So when people ask, you know, who, you know, what do you do? I, I don't automatically go to police officer. It's something to remember that it's not the, the, the one defining thing about me that, you know, at first I'm a father, I'm a husband, um, you know, I'm a, a son, uh, a brother. And by the way, to support my family, I work as a police officer. And that's definitely something that I wish more people understood that I have kids to come home to. I have a wife to come home to. Um, I call my folks almost every day because, you know, it's, it, it's just who I am and that, that there's so much more to, to police officers. And, and it's something good for police officers to remember, too, is that the person you're dealing with is another human being and always treat them with respect because you never know what they're going through, who they are. Um, and it's something that we all all of us forget. And it, it's always good to be reminded of that. So. Yeah, that's that's great. So, uh, Daniel, I agree with what Lincoln was saying about this being just a job. So if we're signing off, I would like to take an opportunity. <laughs> I'd like to take an opportunity to shill the corn one time. Is that OK? You shill it, baby. All right. So Bitcoin magazine today. Today is March the 23rd. They have an article that says 
Bitcoin's success depends on faith. Now, Bitcoin's success does not depend on faith. Bitcoin's success depends on the integrity of its monetary properties, the credibility of its monetary properties. And so this is inevitable. This is absolutely inevitable. We are seeing a pendulum swing of our society. Lincoln and I see it in some very tangible ways with our jobs. The pendulum has swung all the way over to the side of depravity, degradation, deterioration of our society. And so what's going to happen is Bitcoin is the hard pendulum back to capitalism. We are going to see capitalism in a way that the world has never seen. And we are going to see all of society's problems that are caused by unsound money, that are caused by inflation. We're going to see all of that get solved at the root we're not even going to have to attack the symptoms. Everybody's busy attacking the symptoms of what's caused by un unsound money. But Bitcoin is the return of the free market. And I'm so excited to see it. Yeah, me too, man. Very, very well said. That's such a uh, great place to leave it. Shilling the corn, as, uh, as we all love to do. And, uh, well, we just got to get those... Um, those fire department guys buying Bitcoin instead of Ethereum, oh, right? God. Fucking yeah. shitcoiners. I tell them, they I tell them to buy corners. XRP. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, XRP is the standard. Let's get, I'm gonna, we're going to have a bunch of fire guys like, uh, you know, hitting us up in, uh, in DMs now. Yeah. I hope. They're not saying the same thing back to us, then something's wrong. Yeah. It's all for fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's all good banter for sure. But um, if anybody is listening from the fire department, would love to do a show with with any of you guys too. So and we can, love you guys. I, we we love you guys. We we have to pick yeah, on you. You're like the little brothers that get to work out and sleep all day. That we have yeah. to go work jobs, but we love you. We do. Yeah, they call us. Is it safe yet? Can we come in? And that's the type of uh, that's what we normally get from them. So, right. Yeah, the cat's still in the tree, guys. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's over to you. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys i know um yeah where, where can people where should people reach out if that's cool for people to reach out to you i'm on twitter at ran underscore the underscore numbers ran the numbers run the numbers was taken unfortunately so i went with ran the numbers <laughs> And uh, I actually, my first call, it, it, talk about inevitable. My first call sign was actually Lincoln 21. Uh, so <laughs> my, I know I had to, uh, this uh, new profile, but it's at Lincoln 21 underscore million. Um, I'm going to, now that I got that one running, that'll be up and running. Um, so that's, that's where people can chat with me. I'd love to answer questions too. Anybody has any questions? I'm not a lawyer, but uh, hit me up. I like it. It's, it's fun for us to engage too. Excellent. Cool. Well, guys, um, thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I know this is first time for both of you. So it's, uh, it's big, uh, brave steps to, to come on and talk about uh, these things, but they're important topics. And I really appreciate that. Thanks for having us, Daniel. Yeah. Thank you, Daniel. This was great. See you guys. Take care. Bye. 
guys, thank you so much for listening and thank you to Brandon and Lincoln for coming on the show and sharing all of that information with us. Really important stuff actually and I hope that you guys listening uh, took as much away from that as, as I did as we are staring down the next five to ten years of huge societal change. You know, what does this mean for everything? What does this mean for all of these institutions that have been in place whether it's police department you know in in this exact instance it is the police department how is that going to change how are narratives going to change how are bitcoiners within these existing institutions going to be able to change them from within the inside i did a episode with dr bitcoin recently and that that was a fascinating insight as well and it just gives me a lot of hope that we have people like these guys in these institutions that we know as Bitcoiners can trust to start helping make change. It won't be quick, it will be gradual. And when we come to this turning point, this transition, uh, it's, I think it's gonna be pretty crazy. I think there's gonna be a lot of FUD coming Bitcoiners way when the, when the inevitable collapse of the Ponzi fiat scheme finally rears its ugly head there's going to be a lot of finger pointing and they will point fingers at bitcoin we know this so anyway i'm rambling i uh, really appreciate you guys for coming on thank you so much uh reach out to these guys on twitter go find them their titles uh, their handles are in the um the title of the show they're more than uh, happy to connect with you and sharing some bitcoin banter uh, before we sign off, I'm going to say a huge thank you to the supporters of the show and tell you what they do. CoinFloor in the UK are a Bitcoin-only exchange. You can go and buy Bitcoin whenever you want from there, or you can set up weekly buys. Just initiate that with your bank. Relay in uh, in and across Europe, R-E-L-A-I.ch. They are an app. You download the app, you link it to your bank account, you start stacking sats. It's very easy. SwanBitcoin.com in the US, same thing. You just set the app up and you're good to go. Your dollar cost averaging into Satoshis. But then you've got to take control of these coins, guys. You've got to use a Bitcoin-only wallet. Go to shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten and get yourself BitBox02 Bitcoin-only edition. Catch you on the next show.